Greg Abbott, our governor, and all those who make, administer, and judge our laws, that all who receive the sword as your ministers may bear it according to your word, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray, uh, our Lord God Almighty, that he would deliver the world from all error, take away disease, ward off famine, set free those in bondage, grant health to the sick, and a safe journey to all who travel. Almighty and everlasting God, the consolation of the sorrowful and the strength of the weak, may the prayers of those who in any tribulation or distress cry to you graciously come before you, so that in all their necessities they may rejoice in your manifold help and comfort. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for all who are outside the church, that our Lord God would be pleased to deliver them from their error. Call them to faith in the true and living God and his only Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and gather them into his family, the church. Almighty and everlasting God, because you seek not the death but the life of all, hear our prayers for all who have no right knowledge of you. Free them from their error, and for the glory of your name, bring them into the fellowship of your holy church, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for peace, that we may come to the knowledge of God's holy word and walk before him as is fitting for Christians. Almighty and everlasting God, King of glory and Lord of heaven and earth, by whose spirit all things are governed, by whose providence all things are ordained. The God of peace and the author of all concord, grant us, we implore you, your heavenly peace and concord, that we may serve you in true fear, to the praise and glory of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let us pray for our enemies, that God would remember them in mercy, and graciously grant them such all things as are both needful for them and profitable for their salvation. Almighty and everlasting God, through your only Son, our blessed Lord, you have commanded us to love our enemies, to do good to those who hate us, and to pray for those who persecute us. We therefore earnestly implore you that by your gracious visitation, all our enemies may be led to true repentance and may have the same love and be of one accord and one mind and heart with us in your whole Christian church. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let us pray for the fruits of the earth, that God would send down his blessing upon them and graciously dispose our hearts to enjoy them according to his own good will. O Lord, Almighty Father, by your word you created, and you continue to bless and uphold all things. We pray you so to reveal to us your word, our Lord Jesus Christ, that through his dwelling in our hearts, we may by your grace be made ready to receive your blessing on all the fruits of the earth and whatsoever pertains to our bodily need. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. So into your hands, O Lord, we commend all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, this evening we do have a short meditation, and uh, I invite you uh, to reflect with me on a certain aspect of Scripture in regards to uh, the passion of Christ and what it means for us as the people of God. The text for this evening, which I'm going to use, is actually from the Apostle Paul, and it comes to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If I may do so, I will read verses 18 through 23 of chapter 3. Paul writes this, Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Let's pray. 
Lord, your scripture promises us that all things are ours. But we have to admit that that doesn't really feel that way. Nonetheless, you call us to a place of trust and faith, a place of uh, trust and faith, not based upon our own feelings or circumstances, but based upon the person and work of Jesus, who he is, his character, what he's done for us already. And so we commend ourselves to you and commend the understanding of your word tonight, not just the passage from Paul, but the implications of the passion for us as the people of God, as we seek to share this story with the world as it was first shared with us. We love you and thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so thinking about that text from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, the text for tonight's message, I would say, probably seems strange, right? I mean, given that we have a multitude of passion accounts, which I could have chosen from, right? Um, passion accounts which draw our attention into the story of Jesus and therefore the story of our redemption. I think it's important, though, to stress how different, how singular this story of redemption is, right? It's one thing to read the passion narrative over and over again or to hear it over and over again, uh, but it's another thing to understand how different, how, if you will, upsetting, table-turning, um, <clears throat> How singular, as I said, this story is of our redemption. Because if the words of Scripture are to be believed, and we believe they are, then it's all the more important to, uh, to grasp that distinctive nature. Uh, that distinctive nature of that message we carry with us as the people of God. Because if God so loved the world, right, and he does, he shows it in a unique and special way, a way in which the world and its pride and arrogance is slow to recognize and slow to receive from him as his gift to them. Now, you heard a bit from chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians and Paul's letter uh, to uh, the church at Corinth, but I want you to better understand, if you will, the context in which that Corinthian letter is written. And so let me just read to you then briefly from chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, um, and so you get an idea of, of uh, the foundation that Paul laid uh, for those who would, um, who would receive his letter. All right. So beginning at verse uh, 18 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Paul then says this, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. And then jumping down to verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. All right. So this is the theme which runs throughout this letter of 1 Corinthians to the church at Corinth, right? A theme which puts the message of God among the fools <laughs> and the message of the world among the wise. But the contrast is not without purposeful irony, as you picked up hearing both selections, right? Because Paul's goal is for us to grasp at the very least that the ways of God are not only superior to the ways of humankind, but often beyond our understanding. They are beyond categorization, if you will. I mean, it's the idea that we think we are so bright in our humanity 
yet the reality is we live in almost complete darkness. Now, to be fair, we are pretty bright creatures, right? Whether cosmic exploration, uh, I'm fascinated by the number of uh, probes that NASA has landed on Mars and the pictures that they send back. I think it's the, the coolest thing, right? But from cosmic exploration to undersea adventure to artificial intelligence to medical advances, I could start with this long list of human achievements that give us every reason in the world to think highly of our abilities. The flip side, of course, is our sinful humanity, right? The sinful nature which has taken the gifts of intelligence and the gifts of creativity and those things given to us by God and then use them for sinful and harmful means from attempts to exterminate and ethnically cleanse people groups from the face of the earth, which is not new to the last two centuries, right? To even more uh, recent attempts to, to neutralize gender, erasing any male and female distinctiveness. Humanity has a way of taking what is good and repurposing it for evil. Yet, repentance is a daily act of the Christian life. We look in the mirror and so moved by the Holy Spirit, see ourselves as a child of God in need of being saved by God, redeemed by God, rescued essentially from ourselves, right? We are humbled, not by embarrassment and shame, but by Jesus's generous nature, overwhelmed by his grace. How could anyone love me? And it's in that repentance, and it's in that uh, sanctified humbling, if you will, we find God's grace and mercy and power to live and share the story of Jesus, one that is different from the narrative the world is writing, but one, brothers and sisters, that is for the world. Think about it this way. Have you ever wanted to help someone who was engaged in uh, destructive behavior, uh, but they refused uh, that help? They refuse the solution, the cure, even though it was there before him. The world, to me, is much like a loved one in denial who struggles with addiction, right, to sin. And it refuses to receive the help, the cure that's being offered to it by the great physician. But that doesn't deter us. We're called to keep going, presenting to the world Jesus as the cure, as the solution. And when they ask us the question, what's the problem, <laughs> Perhaps to begin with, I am the problem. <laughs> but to offer to them the cure and the solution, the joy and the grace and the power of God, which not only changes eternal outcomes, but brothers and sisters, we know even changes our every day. You know, sometimes a family is required to do an inter intervention in the life of a loved one, right? Uh, consider then the call on our lives, really the privilege like being asked to participate in an intervention for the sake of the neighbor, for the sake of the coworker, for the family member, and even for the stranger. Consider the call on our lives to share our foolish story, to share how you and I were rescued from sin and death by Jesus, how we were rescued from ourselves, and how our, our everyday and our eternal outcomes have been changed. Brothers and sisters, fools we may be, but fools for Christ. And there's nothing wiser than that. In Jesus' name, amen. You were the word that the 
loving beginning. One with Father. Hidden glory in creation, now revealing you are Christ. What a beautiful name it is! What a beautiful name it is! The name of Jesus Christ, like me. What a beautiful name it is! Nothing can to this what a beautiful name it is the name of Jesus we didn't want heaven without us so Jesus you brought heaven down my sin was great your love was great
Service now continues with the reading of the Passion narrative from the Gospel of Matthew, interspersed with stanzas from the hymn, O Sacred Head, Now Wounded. The first Gospel reading is from Matthew 26, verses 30 through 46. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell and on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Our second reading this evening comes to us from the 26th chapter of Matthew, verses 47 through 68. While he was still speaking, that is Jesus, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, 
Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled, that it must be so? And at that hour Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, This man said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? The third gospel reading is from Matthew 26, verses 69 through 75. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. 
Our fourth reading comes from the 27th chapter of Matthew, verses 1 through 14. When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is it to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priests, taking the pieces of the silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what has been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them to the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. The fifth gospel reading is from Matthew chapter 27, verses 15 through 26. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? for he knew it, that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, 
and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. sixth reading this evening comes to us from the 27th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, verses 27 through 44. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head, and when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him a wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then the two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests, with the scribes and elders, mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself, for he is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. seventh gospel reading is from Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 through 56. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink. 
But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there, looking on from a dis distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Eighth and final reading comes to us this evening from Matthew chapter 27, verses 57 through 66. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. We continue our Good Friday service now with the reproaches. Uh, that is uh, the prayers of God's people. Uh, again, interspersed with uh, hymn number 434 uh, from our Lutheran service book. Thus says the Lord, What have I done to you, O my people? And wherein have I offended you? Answer me, for I have raised you up out of the prison house of sin and death, and you have delivered up your Redeemer to be scourged. For I have redeemed you from the house of bondage, and you have nailed your Savior to the cross. O oh, my people, holy Lord God, holy and mighty God, holy and most merciful Redeemer, God eternal, leave us not to bitter death. O oh, Lord, have mercy.
Thus says the Lord, What have I done to you, O my people, and wherein have I offended you? Answer me, for I have conquered all your foes, and you have given me over and delivered me to those who persecute me. For I have fed you with my word and refreshed you with living water, and you have given me gall and vinegar to drink. O my people, holy Lord God, holy and mighty God, holy and most merciful Redeemer, God eternal, allow us not to lose hope in the face of death and hell. O Lord, have mercy. Thus says the Lord, What have I done to you, O my people, and wherein have I offended you? Answer me. What more could have been done for my vineyard than what I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? My people, is this how you thank your God? O my people, holy Lord God, holy and mighty God, holy and most merciful Redeemer, God eternal, keep us steadfast in the true faith. O Lord, have mercy. pray together the prayer our Lord taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 